Well, you may notice something a little bit different this morning about the cross um, that we have here. Um, The cross has a white drape this morning, what we call pyramids in the church. And it's one of the few times in the year that we actually use the white on the cross instead of green or instead of purple or instead of blue or other seasons or red sometimes. Because this day is a very special day in the life of the church. Today is Christ the King Sunday. It is the last Sunday in the Christian year. The way the church works is that we operate in a different way than the regular calendar year. Our church year essentially starts at the beginning of December with Advent and then ends in the last Sunday in November with Christ the King Sunday. And it's a day in which we recognize that Christ reigns in our life, that Christ reigns above all. It's a great way to finish out the year. Next week, we'll go back to starting uh, life anticipating Christ, the coming of Christ, but it's today that we recognize that Christ is the culmination of all of creation. It's a great uh, time for us in the local church here too, a great Sunday, and no coincidence actually in planning this, that we end this sermon series today on Christ the King Sunday. If you've been here for the past few weeks, you know we're in this series called Soil and Seed, and we've talked about planting, and we've talked about growth We talked about um, good soil and what it means to come from the saints. And we talked about good seed and to have that word of God in us and scatter it among people. We talked about good work last week, supporting one another, loving one another, nurturing one another. This Sunday, on Christ the King Sunday, we acknowledge that all of that stuff, the soil, the seed, the work, should bring about fruit, should bear good fruit. And it's true that if Christ truly reigns in our lives as we say he does, our lives should bear good fruit. Now, before we get into scripture, I want to clarify what good fruit is not. You might be thinking that if we're in the season of planting and growth, good fruit means that we have larger numbers, that we have more people in our church, that we have more Facebook followers, that we have more likes on Instagram or more video hits or whatever it might be. But that's not true at all. Good fruit is not uh, quantitative. It's all about the quality of our relationship with Jesus Christ. It's about our lives and the ways in which we express to the world, the way that we give evidence to God's work in our lives. You can see it in people. John Wesley, the founder of our church, said that like an apple tree, you can tell an apple tree by the fruit that it bears, by the apples that are on its branches. So it is with us as Christians. You can tell we are Christians by the fruit that we bear, by the lives that we live. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that this morning. And Paul writes this really interesting letter to his church in Galatia, and I'm going to talk about it in a second. But just know that Paul is the original uh, church planter. He's the one that went and planted churches kind of all throughout the Mediterranean and in parts of Asia. And he began to scatter seeds all over the place. And he nurtured those seeds. And when one of his churches, Galatia, begins to go astray, he writes a letter bringing them back into the fold, telling them, if you claim that you are following Jesus Christ, as you do, then this is what your life should look like. So hear now this reading from Galatians 5, verses 16 through 26. Live by the Spirit, I say, and do not gratify the desires of the flesh, for what the flesh desires is opposed to the Spirit, and what the Spirit desires is opposed to the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to prevent you from doing what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not subject to the law. 
Now, the works of the flesh are obvious. Fornication, uh, impurity, licentiousness, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, anger, quarrels, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, things like these. And I am warning you as I warned you before, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But by contrast, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against such things. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also be guided by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, competing against one another or envying one another. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Uh, Let us pray. Holy and living God, your word is a seed a seed that you promise if it is planted in us will grow in us. And by our care and by our work, but by your grace, that seed will grow and bear fruit in our lives. So God, may this word that you give to us this morning produce fruit. May it be a reminder of who we are called to be, despite what the world says, that we are called to be a people guided by the fruit of the Spirit. In your son's name we pray. Amen. So Thanksgiving is this really interesting paradox. I don't know if this is true for you all. But Thanksgiving is this, um, this week is one in which I am probably at my peak of being grateful for my family, uh, for my friends, for the people I love, for the, peop- for the church community, for all the people I know. It's a season in which I feel love and joy in a way that I don't necessarily feel in the middle of February, you know, just because there's a little bit more gratitude in the air, and we can feel it, and we express it. At the exact same time, this is also a season of chaos, and a season that's a little bit hectic, and a season, if I'm being really honest, my patience and my gratitude for everyone else in the world is at an all-time low as well. On Wednesday, Gabby and I will pack up with the other 50 million people and we'll drive uh, down to Atlanta, um, just a great place to drive into on the busiest traffic day of the year. And we'll be stuck in traffic, no doubt, for what is probably three hours beyond what the normal travel time would be. On Friday night, we'll go at rush hour um, in Atlanta to the airport in Atlanta, the world's busiest airport, um, on the busiest travel day of the year, probably second busiest travel day of the year. And we'll hop in a plane and fly up to Boston the birthplace of impatience, um, and we'll spend the weekend there with friends. It's a season in which, yeah, we, we love and we celebrate and we have a lot of joy, but isn't it ironic that at the same time when we have all this joy and this love in the air and this idea of gratitude, it can be a season in which our patience is really running thin when we're in traffic, A season in which when we head over to the in-law's house, we kind of leave our gentleness and filter at home. A season in which self-control, yeah, we'll pick that back up in January. It's a season of this paradox of an all-time high of joy and gratitude, but also a season in which, as Paul might describe it, these works of the flesh 
come alive in us. Um, Paul uses this word flesh, and I know what you're thinking, because the, word, the language, the line that he used said flesh, and then it said fornication, and then it said impurity in one sentence. So I know where your mind went, um, and your mind's over there. And while what you are thinking about is part of works of the flesh, it is not what Paul was talking about. It's not the focal point. Works of the flesh that Paul warns against are things that are really emotions in us and tendencies that we sometimes default to in moments of stress. Things like anger or bitterness or resentment. There are these emotions that sometimes are like um, defense mechanisms to our ego. They're things that we uh, use or that we default to when we feel that someone is trying to prove that they're better than us. We default to resentment or bitterness. Or when someone tries to cheat us and make us better than us, make themselves better than us, we get angry about it. These works of the flesh are often emotional, and when we actually act on them, they destroy relationships. They separate us from God. They harm ourselves. They actually eat away at us on the inside. And so as we enter into this season of fleshiness, that's a really weird word to use, and we entered in the season of fleshiness, I'm so grateful that of all places, Hollywood has given us a reminder this week that there's a different way, that there's a different path, there's an alternate route to this. On Thursday, um, the movie, A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, uh, was released. It's the story um, it's a biopic about Fred Rogers, Mr. Ro- the, the host, the beloved children's host of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. And I went on Friday morning to go see it because um, I couldn't wait. Um, and so it's a beautiful story that really doesn't focus so much on Mr. Rogers as much as it does on the journalist who is going into an interview with Mr. Rogers trying to see if Mr. Rogers is just a TV persona or if he's really that, like that outside of the camera, or behind the camera as well. Now, if you haven't seen it yet, and I imagine a lot of you have not, some of you probably have, but a lot of you have not, um, I don't think I'm spoiling this for you at all, but I'm just going to tell you, Fred Rogers is the same person in front of the camera as he is behind the camera. He's the same lovable, tender-hearted, compassionate, kind, patient person with the kids on the screen as he is with the adults behind the camera. The amazing thing about Fred Rogers, if you watch him, is that all of his interactions are the same among children and adults. And one of the journalists that's writing about him describes it as, you know, Fred Rogers is amazing because he speaks to adults, or he speaks to children with the same dignity and respect as he speaks to adults. And he speaks to adults with the same clarity and simplicity as he speaks to children. He treats everyone He doesn't just treat everyone. In the moment, he believes that everyone he's talking to is the most important person in the world. Because to him, in that moment, they are. It's an an amazing story. And if you've been following kind of our trends in society, you know that Fred Rogers has kind of gotten a second wind. Uh, It's about two decades since he died. Uh, And in the past two years, we've seen two movies come out about him. The documentary last year, Won't You Be My Neighbor, and now A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. Fred Rogers' legacy has lived and has gotten this second wind in a way that we just stand back in awe. 
a lot of people have said now more than ever, we really need Fred Rogers. And I've been wondering a little bit about why this week. And the reason is, is because Fred Rogers is nothing like the rest of the world around him. By contrast, by contrast to uh, reality television, Fred Rogers is kind. By contrast to politicians, Fred Rogers is gentle. By contrast to our society, Fred Rogers is patient. In a world that is consumed by so much fleshiness, as Paul might describe it, Fred Rogers bears good fruit, and he continues to do so today. This is what Paul is pretty much saying to his church in Galatia. Paul is telling his church, look, in a world that's consumed by fleshiness, fleshiness, in a world that is consumed by ego and self, you're called to be something different. You're called to bear fruit. Followers of Jesus live by the Spirit, and you're able to see that fruit of their spirit in their lives, in their interactions, in the way that they treat children, in the way that they treat adults, in the way that they treat everyone. You should see that they follow Christ in their relationships. And the way that you see that is in the fruit. It's in the fruit of love and of joy and of peace and of patience. Faithfulness, kindness, gentleness, generosity, and self-control. And I hate to say it, but you and I know it. In this day and age, that stands out because that is not the norm. We're a society that, is, that goes along with the cultural norms. We go along with laws. We go along with expectations and patterns of the world that guide our lives. But Paul says, you won't know disciples by the way that they follow laws or by the way that they go along with social patterns. You won't even know them by the rituals of the practices and the faith that they practice. You won't know them because they go to Sunday school. You won't know them because they show up for church. You'll know them because of the fruit that they bear each and every day. Just to be clear, Paul is not saying that you can never get angry. Paul's not saying you're not going to be angry at some points. If you know anything about Fred Rogers, if you've watched the documentary or if you've, if you've seen the movie, and you'll learn this. Again, I'm not spoiling anything. You know that his whole message centers around the idea that you can choose how you respond to situations. You can choose how you, uh, how you respond to the feelings of anger and, and madness and sadness. We experience a lot of emotions, but one of his songs says, there's always something you can do with the mad that you feel. It's how we respond to these things. So it is with life in the Spirit. Following Jesus and being led by the Spirit doesn't mean that you're not going to be angry. Jesus flipped tables in, a, in the temple. It doesn't mean that you're going to be sad. One of the most famous lines in Scripture is that Jesus wept. Life in the Spirit doesn't kind of immunize you from these emotions, but it gives you an alternate way to deal with them. One of the interesting parts of the movie, again, this is in a trailer, I'm not spoiling it for you, um, is, that, um, is that the journalist, Lloyd, who's skeptical of Fred Rogers and Fred Rogers' wife for staying there talking, and they're observing him, like, introduce, like saying hello to people, like his fans, as he's entering into a building. And in the conversation, uh, Lloyd says, what is it like to live with a saint, to be married to a saint? And Joanne, Fred's wife, says, I don't like that word. 
Because a saint implies that Fred is living a life that is unattainable by anyone else. That he's got some quality that's different than anyone else. It makes him sound like he's just above and beyond everyone else. But in reality, he works very hard for kindness and for gentleness. Joanne describes his habit saying that every morning Fred wakes up and he reads scripture. Every morning Fred swims a mile. Every morning Fred prays for people by name in a journal. Every morning there are these practices that he does that allows him in the moment to choose kindness, to choose compassion, to choose gentleness. All of these practices allow him how to resp- give him the option of dealing with his madness in a different way or his sadness in a more helpful way. It's interesting to think about this sermon series and about that, this idea that we've gotten to this point of good fruit, and if we bear good fruit in our lives, it's not just because fruit pops out of thin air. We don't just become Christian and then kind of show these things to the world. There's work behind it. There's good soil. There's good seed. There's a word. There's a, there's, a, there's a word of God that's in us. There's good work that we do among one another, the practices, the scripture, the patience, the prayer, the disciplines that lead to this place of good fruit. The passage of this scripture and this movie come in a pretty timely moment for us, not just because a lot of us are going to be really frustrated in traffic on Wednesday, and some of us are really not looking forward to that uh, dinner conversation on Thursday, um, or we are we have to decorate on next Saturday. You know, there's a lot of things that are stressful for us, but this time comes in a moment for us as the church. It's really timely because at the heart of Fred Rogers' message, at the heart of Paul's message, is this message of unity. Paul was writing this letter to the church in Galatia, and Galatia was splitting at the seams when he wrote this letter. They were falling apart. There had been a group of missionaries that had come into the church and taught something completely different than what Paul had originally told them. They were teaching them that if you obey the law, if you obey the law, then you will be welcomed into the covenant with God. That Jesus' significance was only that he allowed for Gentiles to be welcomed into the family of Jews and the family of being obedient to the law. That was entirely different than what Paul had taught. And so there were factions splitting because they believed that it was the law that was going to unite them, that the law was going to bring them back into good relationship with Jesus and with one another. Now more than ever, I'm reminded that obedience to laws are not what brings unity. You can't legislate unity. You can't legislate peace. I'm all for laws that protect people and minorities, but it's not going to be the law that brings us together. In fact, laws often draw lines. There are those who obey the law and those who don't. Those who the law favors and those who don't. Those who agree with the law and those who don't. The laws in this world draw lines. But Paul writes to the church at Galatia to remind them, under the reign of Christ, there are no lines. It's not the law that's going to unite you. It's, not the, it's the faithfulness of Jesus Christ that unites us. I'm reminded that Paul, in just two chapters prior to this one that we're reading, writes, there is no longer Greek nor Jew. There is no longer male nor female. For we are all one in Christ Jesus. There's unity among us. 
Living under the law draws lines, but living in the Spirit erases those lines. There are no lines. The fruit of the Spirit is the work that we do, is the fruit that we bear that brings us together. Joy, love, patience, gentleness. Those are the things that bring us together. And so Christians should not be the people that further divide people, further faction people, further split people. We're the people that are called to bear this fruit that bring people together, that love one another. Christians should be known as the people that work towards healing, not towards divisiveness. It's been interesting, just in closing, I know I'm going a little bit long. Um, it's been interesting to read some of the commentary on the movie. Some have asked right now of Mr. Rogers, I wonder what Mr. Rogers would say about Donald Trump. I wonder what Mr. Rogers would say about Nancy Pelosi. I wonder what Mr. Rogers would say about children at the border or our, kind of some of the racist rhetoric that's going on. I wonder, and a lot of people say that kind of thinking that they have Fred Rogers pegged politically that Fred Rogers is clearly a Democrat. Fred Rogers is clearly a Republican. We all want Fred Rogers on our team, right? <laughs> Justifies our beliefs. But it was interesting to have one commentator talk about this. Fred Rogers used to use an expression that would kind of recognize the humanity in people, and he would say, you know, such and such was a child too at one point. And so, yeah, I think that Fred Rogers would speak out against the racism, would speak out against the separation of families and children at the border and all that type of stuff, all the injustices that we see, that we experience. But at the same time, he would say, but you know what? Donald Trump was once a child too. Nancy Pelosi was once a child too. Your annoying uncle at Thanksgiving, he was once a child too. That person that just cut you off in traffic, that just kind of gave you a hand gesture that, suggest the physically impossible, that person was once a child of God too. That person is a child. With Fred Rogers, there are no lines. In Christ, there are no lines. And as followers of Jesus, there should be no lines that we promote. In Christ, under the reign of Christ, the fruit of the Spirit are our way of living. No matter who you are engaging with, family, friends, someone you don't know, stranger, enemy. The fruit of the Spirit or the way that we are called to live together as a people who have grown, who have been nurtured in the good soil, who have had that seed bloom and brought forth. It's how we're called to live together as a people of Christ. Love, peace, joy, and kindness. Patience, gentleness, faithfulness, generosity, and self-control. May our lives be ones that bear that fruit this holiday season. And may our lives be ones that bear this fruit of the Spirit always. Pretty simple. Go. Bear fruit. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Have a wonderful Thanksgiving, and we'll see you next Sunday.